Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for the first Sunday in Lent in year B. We are starting a new series today. Uh, actually, it began, if you notice, on the foundation resources on wellscongregationalservices.net. Uh, began with Ash Wednesday. Um, at this point, we're not doing a podcast for Ash Wednesday, but starting rather here on the first Sunday in Lent. Rethinking Religion is the theme of this series, and we are letting God, through his scriptures, help us to rethink what Christianity is all about. And we're going to Jesus, the Christ himself, uh, to help reshape and reform our ideas about what it means to be his and to follow him. So today we'll be talking about rethinking trials, tests, and temptations. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, and let's meet our preachers for this series. Pastor John Scharf from Abiding Grace Lutheran Church in Covington, Georgia, and Pastor Phil Hebner from Wisconsin Lutheran High School in Milwaukee. And joining us today also is Professor Bill Tackmeyer from the seminary. So John, Phil, and Bill, thank you all for joining us today. Um, Phil Hebner, let's start with you. Could you tell us a little bit about the weekly theme for this Sunday in this new series? Yeah, I would love to. Um, so the, the cloud of glory has disappeared now on the Mount of Transfiguration, and it's time to go down that mount and walk with Jesus um, throughout Lent to the other mount, Mount Calvary. And so as we do that, of course, the tone of the church year changes quite a bit, and we focus a lot on our sin and our Savior who lived, suffered, died for us. And so uh, we enter this Lent season with the theme of rethinking religion, as you mentioned. And the first week of Lent always um, focus on the temptation of Jesus. And so our theme for this day is rethinking trials, tests, and temptations. Um, the troubles that plague us, we want to have that glory moment on the Mount of Transfiguration always throughout our lives. And yet we don't see that. We have so many problems come our way. Um, I guess, again, temptations that we face, tragedies in our lives. And so we start to wonder and question, well, if if God loves us, why doesn't he remove these things? Why doesn't God make my path more smooth? Why doesn't God make my life easier if I'm following him and trusting in him and walking in his ways and in his word? And so that's what we're really going to rethink today. The value, the benefit, the usage of trials, tests, and temptations in our lives and how uh, with Christ's strength, uh, Christ for us, Christ in us, Christ with us, we can overcome those things um, by his help. Yeah, thanks for that useful summary. Uh, John Scharf, could we go to you next? Uh, we'll be looking at the first reading from Genesis 22 as our sermon text today. But before we get to that, could you uh, brief us on the gospel and the second reading? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, John. Um, like Phil mentioned, the, the Sunday, uh, the gospel is the temptation of, of Jesus in the wilderness. And Mark's account is clearly the most concise in just a, a couple of verses. Uh, real quickly, Jesus overcomes the temptation. He's strengthened by the angels and, and begins his preaching ministry. Uh, and in that, we're seeing our perfect substitute handling temptation perfectly in our place. Uh, the second reading is Paul's famous discussion about the certain victory we have, no matter what the enemy or what the temptation. 
He makes the point that if God sacrificed his son for you, you can have every confidence that he's with you throughout whatever you're going through, and he will give you the victory. Nothing is stronger than that. Nothing can separate you from that love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, which is such an important truth. Remember, when we do come face to face with trials and tests, even the kind that don't seem like there could possibly be any good coming from it, like the test we see in our first reading, you know, Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son. Uh, the hymn of the day reminds us of the battle and the victory we have, right? A mighty fortress is our God. The psalm shows us David looking to the Lord when he faces trials and enemies of all sorts. Uh, all of it helping us to see how the trials and tests we face can actually be blessings from God, things that strengthen us, help us when we look to him, instead of being things to uh, be complained about. Yeah, thank you. That Those other readings just right taken together, put things in perspective or help us to reshape our perspective or rethink um, the value of all these things that God allows in our lives. Uh, with that, then let's get to our sermon text. The appointed one in our series is Genesis 22, 1 through 18. So Bill Tackmeyer, could you get us started as we think about this text? We're assuming Pastors have gone through and done a text study, so we'll just hit some highlights or feel free to point out anything uh, especially noteworthy that you think might be helpful to preachers. Bill? Sure. Um, this is the climax, of course, of the Abram narrative, uh, beginning in chapter 12 and then going through chapter 25. Um, in this narrative of Abram's life, uh, we see God testing him in various ways. Often the test is not uh, real obvious or God doesn't make clear that he's testing Abram. But as soon as Abram gets uh, to Canaan, of course, there's a famine. He has to go down to Egypt. In Egypt, he doesn't uh, pass the test, so to speak, uh, very, very well. Um, but there are other times that God again tests him. We think of the time where he comes to tell him that uh, Sodom, the city that uh, his nephew is living in, is going to be destroyed. And then you, you see that soul-searching prayer that Abram has um, in uh, uh, chapter 18. Um, he seems to always be growing with each one of these tests. And when God finally gives him the long-awaited son, the long-awaited offspring, then God says, now go and sacrifice uh, that son of yours, which seems unthinkable. Why would God ever ask that of someone? Um, and the way the, the narrative unfolds in chapter 22, of course, is just uh, uh, brilliant, where there's this... Um, anxiousness in it. There's this um, building pathos in it that you can see Abram and Abraham now and his son uh, going to the place that God is showing him that the son should be sacrificed. And you see Abram, you know, lifting the knife to, to kill his son. He's going to go through with it. And then, of course, um, the angel of the Lord appears and says, no, uh, don't do it. Uh, now I know that you fear God. Um, so then there's this uh, relief at the end of the narrative. Uh, I would encourage pastors um, to really make as much as possible in their sermon uh, to draw in the narrative approach that Moses is using in chapter 22 to build suspense, um, to finally uh, give the resolution of 
uh, what was the purpose of this testing that God was giving to Abram? So it's it really is a rich text to preach on. Yeah, you're right. The the narrative elements really do stand out here. Um, verse two: uh, Take your son, your only son, the one you love, uh, Isaac. Right? I mean, just this uh, uh, kind of God. Um, just emphasizing this is the son that you've been waiting for for so long and now i'm going to tell you uh to sacrifice him right so that elements like that or yeah the walk up the mountain um and uh hey dad where um got we got the got the fire we got the wood where's the the sacrifice um and imagining the look on abraham's face you know when uh Isaac asks him that, right? So yeah, just not neglecting or overlooking uh, just the powerful elements that are here as, right, as Moses tells this account. Um, yeah, anything to that point, uh, Phil or John, uh, that you would want to mention in terms of preaching on this text? Phil? Sure, I'll jump in there. Uh, you mentioned that uh, verse two, take your son, your only son. I, I remember from seventh grade in English class learning about appositives, and the teacher used this as an example of appositives, um, uh, highlighting that very thing, right? You just layer one right on top of another to add emotion emotionality to it. Um, and just I want to speak to that for a second. Um, this is such a narrative, as Bill said so well, and I think it's a really great story for us to try and stand inside of, you know, to imagine yourself in the scenario, which for me kind of gets myself in the mindset of really understanding what it's like to face this trial and temptation. You know, this is a long time ago, some 4,000-ish years ago, but these are real humans with real sinful nature, you know. And so I try to imagine what would it be like for God to even ask in the first place and then what would be rolling through Abraham's mind and for him to just go kind of like when he was first called at the beginning, just go to a place I'll show you. And he went and for him to just go. And we don't have any record of questions asked. Well, what are you talking about, God? Well, why would I do that? How come you're going to ask me to make this sacrifice? Um, or, or as you mentioned, walking up the mountain and looking in the eyes of his, of his son, or tying him up and setting him on the altar or raising the knife. And to think about um, the different temptations and trials that we today in present times face that are so gut-wrenching and so difficult and so hard and all the questions that flood our minds and the doubts and the why God would you do this? Why would you allow this? And in this case, it's God specifically asking and I think if you can put yourself in the mindset of Abraham and what he might have been thinking or what you would have been thinking if you were in that story, I think you can begin to understand the difficulty of the trial and how we have failed so often um, with the temptations and trials that we have and we encounter in our lives. And I'm sure we'll get to later on the hero of faith aspect of this, right? And how uh, Abraham got through it. But um, I guess one approach I've had for this text in, in the past was just to put myself inside of it and to imagine being there in that trial. And I guess we don't talk as much also about his son, Isaac, and what was going on in his mind um, and, and the trial he had. This is more about Abraham's test of faith, but um, certainly Isaac was being tested too. 
as he was being led, led along. So I just wanted to lead with that thought, kind of standing inside of it and, and imagining what would that be like to start to enter into um, the thought of what this trial really is in the brain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John? Yeah, you know, you, you talk about uh, uh, getting inside that story. Um, I make sure my son wears his seatbelt. Uh, you know, we have rules of how far he can ride on his bike. You know, there we do all of these things to protect, and this just going completely opposite of it. And one of the astounding things, you know, he, he rises early in the morning to to get on with it, to do this, this, this absolute obedience. And you're just the how. Uh, how is he able to do this? But then you think, you know, uh, Bill mentioned he had failed a couple of tests before, right? He, he, uh, the, the whole Egypt thing, and then kind of same problem with uh, Abimelech. And, and, uh, uh, but for 25 years, God had made a promise. Uh, you're going to have a son. And, you know, you see kind of the ups and downs of that and God coming with reminders of that promise and, and uh, Sarah laughing and, and God fulfilling that promise. He had seen God keeping promises, even when, you know, uh, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead and his wife's you know, womb was also dead uh, against all hope. Abraham in hope believed, uh, thinking of, of Paul's mention of that Um he saw God keep promises that were impossible. And uh, like the Hebrews passage, referring back to this, you know, you mentioned the heroes of faith thing. Um, he reckoned that even if he killed him, God would still keep his promise. Uh, somehow he would raise Isaac and somehow God would keep the promise that the one to bless all nations would come, come through him. Um, yeah. There's so many little details in here as you kind of walk through and, are astounded that that Abraham actually did this and he was willing to do this and the, speaks to the the power of faith God working something that would seem impossible uh, so as we're rethinking our trials uh, this gives a whole lot of encouragement because I cannot imagine designing one um, no matter what any of us are going through I cannot imagine designing one that would be this brutal right right Bill. Well, a couple little touches in the text that are really good for the preacher to bring out is that Abram, Abraham says, uh, the Lord will provide. Notice he doesn't say too much. He leaves it open as to how the Lord is going to provide. You know, uh, it's that phrase has been debated a lot in the history of exegesis. That is he just telling his son a white lie? Is he trying not to make, you know, to to make sure that Isaac doesn't get nervous, but I would choose to see it as words of faith that I trust in God's promise, uh, but I, I don't know how God is going to carry it out. And then another thing to bring out in this text, I think, is really the very last phrase. The way it comes off in English in chapter or in verse 18 uh, where the Lord is saying, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You could very easily get the idea, well, Abraham did what is right. And so now God is going to keep his promise. But if you look closely at the Hebrew of that, it's because you have listened to my voice and 
Um, I think a lot of people will take it kind of in the way that James did. You know, James likes to quote this this pericope as well as Paul likes to. And James is making the point about, well, faith without deeds is dead. And so you see it's what Abraham did. But I'm convinced in that last phrase that what uh, God is saying is that you listened to everything I had to say, Abraham. You listened to my promises, and it's my promises that reassured you, yeah, I can go to the point of even lifting the knife, you know, to kill my son. Um, so I think that's an important part of the text that can often be overlooked. Yeah, that's a great point. So broadening out that last phrase, I think that's really helpful. Uh, Phil? So as we talk about these important things about trusting the Lord's promises and trusting that the Lord will provide, and I think um, John Stoll, I, I wanted to be the one to reference the the Hebrews 11, but he took it. I mean, I, I think that verse about Abraham reckoning that God would just raise his son from the dead is really important to shed light on the faith of the moment. And I think these couple things that we've been saying now for the last couple minutes kind of narrows us in now on what like would be the law focus of the text. Um, how many things do we face? Uh, a tragedy, a loved one is dying, there's cancer, uh, I'm overwhelmed with life, I lose my job. And you have God's clear words and you have God's clear promises to stand on. Um, but I think the sin focus can get to be how easily we doubt that, you know, the things that are right in front of our face, like a horse with blinders, you know, we're looking at, at the trial right in front of us and how easy it is to just even have one wavering moment, like Peter walking on water with Jesus. You're staring right at the Lord and you heard his words, come walk with me, but but you you lose track, you lose focus and boom, you start to sink. Uh, and so I guess I think I would personally start to zero in on a law focus of how you have the words, you have the promises of God, and oh my, how easy it is to just waver and falter and to doubt that even for the slightest bit. And once you start slipping or sinking, you go down pretty fast into into sin when you when you fail that trial or temptation. So mm -hmm. I guess personally, that's how I would dovetail off what these brothers have said um, and focus on kind of the law aspect of the text myself. Yeah, that is helpful. And so again, you could do that in the context of uh, imagining yourself in the place of Abraham here and contrasting, uh, you know, what Abraham does here, the attitude he displays with what our attitude often is. And maybe as you've uh, mentioned already, um, you know, this is a shining moment in the faith life of Abraham, but they weren't all bright shining moments. You know, there were a lot of uh, struggles as well. Um, so we could identify with that. Yeah, anything further to kind of a, a bringing out um, the law uh, from this text or in connection with this text? Um, further thoughts on that? Um, I think I like Phil's idea there. Uh, Phil, something I just more? want to add one more real quick thought that I think that ties in really well with um the other readings for the day, if you're talking about Romans chapter eight and, you know, like God working all things for our good. I mean, there is a very easy example of a clear promise of God that, that we doubt so, so easily, so quickly. Um, and so if you just want to tie in some of those readings together, I think that might be another example of one that's easy to doubt when you're facing a trial or, or temptation. 
Yeah, certainly, certainly. Good. Um, then, um, as far as gospel emphases in this text, um, how do you approach that? I mean, we've mentioned already, the Lord will provide. Um, a question we think about when we're preaching Old Testament texts is, uh, bigger picture, where does this connect to Christ? Uh, and in what way? And there are some interesting approaches I think you could take from this text. But um, what thoughts would you have for preachers as they're thinking about preaching Christ, uh, preaching the gospel from this text? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I've heard people talk about, you know, seeing Isaac as a type of Christ carrying the wood up and, uh, um, you know, willingly going to the sacrifice. I don't know that that uh, um, that's the key point of this. I, I, I'm more comfortable when the Bible says, hey, this is particularly a type. Um, mm -hmm. I think in the ram, the sacrifice uh, in place of uh, Isaac, you you have a, a, a clearer picture there. But but I think as, as uh, um, Abraham is, is working through this, this test, seeing uh, God's strength in him and with him uh, through it all, uh, the Lord will provide. Uh, I believe a, a couple times, you know, he tells his son, God will provide, and then he names the mountain. Uh, and, and there's the, uh, in Luther's sermon, I think he gives several different etymological meanings for the name of the mountain. The Lord sees, the Lord provides, the Lord um, is myrrh, um, if I'm remembering some of those off the top of my head, but, but yeah, God provides, God's the one who, who, uh, gives him the strength through this. Great. Bill? Well, you know, I think our teachers have, have pointed out, um, often, I mean, our Lutheran, uh, exegetes that the rest of scripture does not point to Isaac as a type of Christ, and, you know, we, we don't want to go to the, in, in the direction of allegorizing. But I would say, you know, God sets his patterns of how he saves his people. And uh, a pattern I think that he's establishing here is this idea of substitutionary death, that um, the ram dies in the place of Isaac. Uh, the text is pretty clear on that, but it's not... Uh, prophecy or like like um, John was saying it's it's not necessarily uh, a type of Christ either um you know even the ram is not mentioned anywhere else in scripture as being a type of Christ and yet God is establishing a pattern here it's intriguing that it happens on Mount Moriah where we learn in the historical books later is the place that Solomon builds the temple um you know there's there's certainly some kind of foreshadowing that's going on here. Moses doesn't seem to pick up on it himself, um, uh, nor do any other writers of scripture. But I would encourage preachers, especially to look at that last verse again, verse 18, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Abram was given that promise uh, way back in uh, chapter 12, uh, at the calling of of Abram, it occurs again uh, toward the end of chapter eighteen, where God says in Abram's uh, in Abram all 
the uh, nations of the earth will be blessed. And then this is the third time that it's given. And it's given at the end of this climactic scene that a descendant of Abraham will come who will be a blessing for all nations. So in our sermons, I think that really is, you know, that's where the gospel is. That's that's the thing for the preacher to flesh out. And um, Abraham was looking forward to this this uh, offspring. And, and Jesus says in John chapter eight, you know, Abraham saw my day. You know, he, this this is what he was looking forward to, to to Christ being this substitutionary offering. John? Yeah, that, that's awesome. The, the powerful promise in 18. And I, I want to even add what he says in 17. I swear by myself, um, nothing higher, nothing greater by which to swear God is making this promise uh, of the Savior. And you think about the times that he's, he's sworn by himself to us. Um, you know, we are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All the promises that he attaches, um, that his word attaches, those are ours. You know, in, in the Lord's Supper, the promises that he makes, um, there's no one else he can swear by uh, that, that makes it more powerful. He swears by all of his power uh, that what we're receiving is, is for our forgiveness, for our good, uh, and even the promises of his word. Uh, he, he swears by himself. He gives us uh, gives us that that amazing comfort that yeah all nations including us will be blessed through through that descendant. Great, Bill. Thanks so uh, much for no, that. Oh, sorry. So, um, thanks so much for that uh, great gospel encouragement on those awesome promises that God keeps Himself and of course fulfilled in Christ and. Um, he is the substitute and the sacrifice, right? That that ultimately we were we've been waiting for. I want to just point out or add um, some active obedience gospel ap application as well. You know, knowing that this is the temptation of our Lord Sunday here in the first Sunday of Lent, we can also look to that gospel. And as brief as as it is with Mark, we don't quite have all the other details of how. Jesus stood on God's word against Satan, but of course we we know that from our, our Bible reading. But there you have one who went down the Mount of Glory to refer to my um, earlier comments about transfiguration, you know, and he made his way toward the cross as we are with him on this journey during Lent. And yet we see at the beginning of his ministry and all throughout his life, Jesus was the one that always stood the test and stood the trial. And from his withstanding of Satan, um, there in the wilderness, all the way to the very end of it is finished. Um, Christ always did what we cannot. And what an awesome joy and blessing to know that not only does his substitutionary sacrifice pay for what we have done and how we failed, but we're also wrapped in his righteousness and active obedience too. Um, and that covers over us um, as as God looks at us now and empowers us to, to fight um, those trials and temptations every day in our lives as well. So I, I think the preacher should also be sure to uh, maybe refer to that too, the act of obedience as well uh, as gospel for this, this text. Yeah. The righteousness of Christ uh, we see on full display here. Um, so yeah. So I, I'm kind of thinking through this, um, our conversation so far, kind of looking first at the, the narrative and the details of the text. There's such richness there, telling the story, putting ourselves in the place of Abraham. Then in a sense, kind of, uh, uh, and con maybe contrasting ourselves with Abraham and our, our faltering 
as uh, contrasted with his uh, willing obedience here. And then maybe broadening out a little bit to these gospel thoughts, uh, all the different ways we can uh, see connections to Christ here and kind of the big picture, the one through whom all nations will be blessed, the perfect sacrifice, the promises of God attached to him. Um, and then maybe kind of narrowing uh, again the focus just a little bit to now maybe our response to that. And here we get to our rethinking religion. Uh, in Christ, we have a new perspective on trials, tests, and temptations. Um, could something like that work? Or what were you guys thinking of uh, kind of applications um, based on the text? John? Yeah, I guess uh, um, we all understand what a trial is and and, and what a test is. And whether it be a, a personal example or something the congregation's going through or, or something big in the news, you know, kind of thinking through um, the problems that that cause that, that whatever that test is causes for us and, and uh, uh, how could God be working through this or, or maybe a, a personal story, you know, I, um, my, my sister died when I was 20 years old and, and awful thing. Right. But then you meet the the people who come to the funeral and hear the gospel there and, and start getting connected to Christ. Uh, okay. God's doing something there. Uh, you know, you, you could have some, some applications through some specific tests or trials. Um, I think uh, one of the keys is remembering who is in control of this test and who is giving this test? Uh, I think that that's, mm -hmm. that's going to be a huge application. Last time I preached on it, it was, that was the theme. Remember who God is when he tests you. Um, the, the God who sees to it and the God who swears to it. So um, you think of Abraham's statements that, that the Lord will provide and, and, and then he swears by himself. Um, Bill, great thoughts. And a thing to point out is that God doesn't tell Abraham ahead of time, okay, this is going to be a test, because otherwise it right. wouldn't be a test. And right. so when applying it to your people's lives, point out, you know, God, God doesn't announce ahead of time, okay, here comes a test, get ready for it. Right, yeah, and... Um... I mean, it reminds me of something Professor Deutschlander would say, uh, you know, that in, in these times where um, things seem to be going a little bit more smoothly in our Christian life, um, you know, maybe that's not uh, the norm, but these are times where God is strengthening us to face uh, the next trial um, and strengthening our faith or tuning us into his voice uh, so that when push comes to shove, uh, we can rely on that. Yeah. Uh, John? Yeah, and just to that point, uh, Abraham's life seemed to be going okay. The whole Ishmael situation was taken care of. Mm -hmm. uh, the previous verses, he had just made a treaty with Abimelech. Uh, he he was protected. Life was good. Uh, and then, then this happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, Bill, though. Uh, God does not pre-announce, uh, you know, here, here is a trial that's coming your way. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of comes out of nowhere, at least from our perspective. Um, so kind of overall purpose of the sermon or main thrust of the sermon, um, uh, kind of what are you thinking? And if you even want to mention kind of a, a theme idea or something to that effect, um, go ahead and do that. But 
where kind of are you going with sort of the overall, we've talked about a lot of, of details, kind of bringing them together in a unified way. Um, how would you go about that or provide some ideas for preachers as they think about kind of wrapping some of these things together? John, you hinted at, at one or theme you've used, but any other ideas? Uh, Phil? Uh, yeah, I've preached on this one twice before. I had different themes. One was a little more about the the hero of faith and not that we're just preaching about Abraham as an example, but how Christ uh, empowered him, you know, with his words and promises. Another one, I think I did the Lord will provide um, as, as a theme, mm-hmm. but I guess uh, just our talking right now and just thinking through it again um, this last week, uh, I'm really struck by standing on the words and promises of the Lord that he's always faithful to who he is and, and what he says uh, and what he does and um, just that Abraham trusting what God said and the application to our our own lives of faith, that when we have these trials, that we can uh, stand so fast on um, what God has said from the beginning, the power and the action of his word, let there be uh, calming the storm, raising Lazarus, it is finished at the cross, or going back to John Sharp's comments about communion, right? And the words and promises of God have such power that he delivers. And I can stand on those with absolute confidence, trusting uh, who he is. Um, that if, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I guess that those are the thoughts just kind of guiding the direction of the sermon for me uh, as I think about it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Yeah. Other ideas related to kind of an overall approach to the sermon? Yeah, I guess I mentioned I mentioned my you know theme and parts last time. Remember who God is when he tests you. Uh, another time was, was very similar, uh, talking about uh, uh, being battle tested. Battle tested is better. Uh, and and God bringing us through. And, and as Phil was talking, I, I thought of a couple of uh, I always try to write down a lot of illustration ideas, even if I'm not going to use them. And I don't think these will show up, but but you know, when he was talking about the, the absolute confidence, even when things are are awful, uh, what popped in my mind were a couple of those hymn stories. You know, the uh, the Martin Rinkart, 30 Years War, uh, loses his wife, buries 4,500 people, whatever, and sits down and writes, now think we all are God. Um, and, you, you know, you can think about the the things that he's thanking God for or or like uh, Spafford, it is well with my soul, right. supposedly written as he was passing over the the place in the ocean where his four kids had drowned. Um, you know, life can get awful. Uh, life can be really tough. Uh, but these promises of God do amazing things. They, they cause Abraham um, to be able to put God first and, and even be willing to sacrifice his own son. Uh, they they give us the strength to get through tests because, um, well, the promise of God caused him to sacrifice his son in our place uh, so that Abraham didn't have to go through with that test and he could have a ram in place of Isaac uh, to sacrifice and, and and that we get eternal life instead of the, the, the destruction we deserve. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a theme formulated, um, but what does come to mind is you can uh, search for an image of this. Uh, Rembrandt painted uh, this scene, um, the sacrifice of Isaac, I think, and he captures the moment when uh, Abraham has the knife in the air 
um, and the angel of the Lord is stepping in to stop him. And you see this kind of pained look in Abraham's eyes and, and maybe even a tear uh, forming. And um, yeah, just this incredible moment. Um, so uh, if that image might be useful, as maybe as Phil suggested, putting yourself in the shoes of Abraham, kind of walking through the text. But then, yeah, I, I love the ideas of, of just taking people back to the promises of God. The Lord will provide, uh, even in this hard-to-imagine trial uh, that Abraham goes through, uh, the Lord will provide. His voice is there. The promises have been there. Um, and they're still there for us, too. Uh, great. Any further thoughts or concluding thoughts? Uh, all right. Well, we'll turn it over to preachers then to continue wrestling with this text and encouraging people in light of Christ, in light of his grace, in light of the strong words of our God to rethink trials, tests, and temptations.